We're going to consider the word of the Lord this evening as we find it in Psalm 122. Psalm 122. Hear now the word of the Lord. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord, according to the statutes given to Israel. There the thrones for judgment stand, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my brothers and friends, I will say, Peace be within you. For the sake of the, Lord, of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. Thus far the reading of God's word. Question and answer 123 of the Heidelberg Catechism deals with the second request or second petition of the Lord's Prayer. The second petition of the Lord's Prayer is, Thy kingdom come. One of the reasons I find this appropriate is because I think it is necessary for Christians, particularly to understand clearly what the Bible teaches about God's kingdom. Far too many are being distracted, far too many churches, and I think far too many Christians are being distracted by thinking that somehow this kingdom will be an earthly kingdom established when there is justice and righteousness flowing from the capitals of the world to their peoples. Well, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And if you think you're going to find perfection on this earth, you are living in a pipe dream. I remember many years ago working as a caseworker and people thought very seriously that you could change people if you only found the right program or the right government grants or the right development for these people, developments for these people. And in the end, they didn't work because it's only God who can change people's hearts. I remember one time at a Christmas party, there was a fellow behind me, another caseworker, and he had, I think, been a little too much at the punch bowl. But he said to me, he says, you know, Mr. Blau, he said, the Bible says that in this world there's going to be wars and there's going to be rumors of wars. And I said, uh, yeah, that's right, Leon. He says, well, he says, you know what that means? 
I said, no, what? He said, well, it means if men ain't fighting, they's talking about fighting. And I thought, that's true. There's a great, great deal of insight in that. If we're not fighting, we're talking about fighting. And in the midst of this world, God's people cry out, Lord, may your kingdom come. And so the Catechism says, what does it mean, this second request? Thy kingdom come means, rule us by your word in spirit in such a way that more and more we submit to you. Keep your church strong and add to it. Destroy the devil's work. Destroy every force which revolts against you and every conspiracy against your word. Do this until your kingdom is so complete and perfect that in it you are all in all. Congregation beloved of our Lord Jesus Christ, the second petition is an important petition in the Lord's Prayer. It's an important petition because it tells us something about living the Christian life in the midst of this world. In the midst of the rulers and princes of this world, how do Christians survive acknowledging that we believe in the one who is the true ruler of the world? in the one who is the ruler of men and of nations, and the one who is the prince of peace? And that's an important question. What does it mean when we pray, thy kingdom come? What are we praying for? Now when we look at Psalm 122, we see that it is a psalm of ascent that Pastor pointed out some weeks ago that these were songs that were sung when people would go to the temple for worship so that the tribes of Israel would gather on particular days and they would walk to Jerusalem and as, as they would climb the hill to Jerusalem, they would join in song. And, and these were wonderful times of celebration. In fact, in fact, if you were a man in Israel, or a young man in Israel, you were required to worship in the temple at least once a year. Now this requirement did not come upon women, uh, particularly those who might be with child or who had young children to care for, but it was required of men that at least once a year they worship in the temple, and if their children were older, the family could go together and they would join together with their friends and their neighbors, and they would sing these psalms of ascent as they were going up to the temple to worship. And so the psalmist begins Psalm 122 by saying, you know, I was glad when I heard that. I was, I was rejoicing when I heard that call to come to worship. And we read about it in this psalm that we have before us this evening. The psalmist really is reflecting the hope of every Christian. He is, re he is reflecting the hope of every believer. The joy of being able to come to worship. The joy of being able to gather in God's house. 
It is something that is unique and special and that belongs only to the people of God. I was glad, says the psalmist, when they said to me, let us go up to the house of the Lord. Now, why would one want to go to the house of the Lord? Why would one find this joy in gathering with God's people in God's house? Well, if you lived in the time of the psalmist, you would want to go to the temple because the temple was the great symbol in Israel of God's presence among his people. And the hope of every believer is that they one day dwell fully in the presence of God. So that when they would go up to the temple, they were acknowledging that we want to stay and be in the presence of God. They gathered about the altar. It was the place of sacrifice, the place where God meets his people. That place that pointed to the ultimate sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. At the cross, at the cross, I first saw the light, the burden. That's where God meets his people. And at the altar, they could see that which pointed to the perfect sacrifice, our Lord Jesus Christ. They could see that without the shedding of blood, there was no forgiveness of sins. And so animals were sacrificed on the altar, sheep and goats and oxen. They were sacrificed on the altar for people's sins. And they could leave in the joy of God's forgiveness. They could depart in peace, knowing that it was God who would provide that perfect sacrifice, that it was God himself who would provide that one who would offer himself on the altar of the cross, even our Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we look at this psalm, we notice that it reflects something of what, or the catechism reflects something of what the psalmist is talking about. When we pray this petition, thy kingdom come. Because when we pray this petition, we are praying, first of all, that God may rule. We want God to rule. And we are acknowledging that we want to submit to God's authority. And so first of all, when we pray this petition, we are praying a very personal petition. That God may rule in our lives. Lord, rule in my life. May I submit to your rule. May I submit to your authority in my heart and in my life. That's the first thing we are praying for, and it's a personal petition. Secondly, we are praying that God may rule in the church. 
Preserve and increase your church, O Lord. Notice, notice what, what the psalmist says in the, the, the middle verses of this psalm, uh, from 3 to 5. The tribes go up to praise the name of the Lord. There the thrones for judgment stand, the thrones of the house of David. There the thrones of judgment stand, in the temple, in Jerusalem, which was not only the political center of the nation, but not only the place where the palace was, but it was also the place where the temple was. And there in Jerusalem were the thrones of judgment. That that God's judgment on sinners would be born by another. And that sacrifice at the altar pointed to that other one, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so there is the sense in the psalmist that God may rule in the church that God's rule may be evident in the church. Preserve and increase thy church, the catechism says. So it is a corporate petition. It is a petition that is made in the midst of God's people. Lord, rule in my life. And Lord, rule in your church. May your church be faithful to your word. May your church seek to be obedient in worship and in life. May your church be a faithful witness to our Lord Jesus Christ. Preserve your church, O Lord, because your church exists in a hostile world. And so it is a corporate petition. And thirdly, it is a request that God's rule may be evident in the world. Destroy the works of the devil. Destroy the works of the devil and all the wicked counsels against your word. That God's rule may be evident in the world and that that rule may be reflected in the lives of men and of nations so that ultimately we look forward as Christians to God's peace. We know that that peace will not be found ultimately in this world. It can be found in our hearts, it can be found in our lives, in our homes, can be found in the company of God's people in the church, but it will not be found until the Prince of Peace returns, even our Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's not only a personal petition, it's not only a a corporate petition, but it is a hopeful petition. We live in the midst of this world looking always looking forward to the Lord's return. 
Saints in heaven are looking forward to that time. How long, O Lord? How long they're crying out? Looking for the Lord's return. So then, first of all, it is a personal petition. The psalmist says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Now, when we look at this psalm, we realize that this psalm really is all-encompassing. It is all-encompassing because in desiring to go to the house of the Lord, the psalmist is at odds with the world. The world does not desire to go to the house of the Lord. Just go for a little drive on Sunday afternoon and you'll see all kinds of people on the highway going here, going there. Sunday morning, you ride by a gym or you ride by a, 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 some sort of arena, ice arena. We have an ice arena by our house. Hockey time. Oh, parking lot full of cars on Sunday morning. Parents don't take their children to church, but they'll take them to a hockey game. They'll take them to hockey practice, or they'll take them to soccer practice. Or you've got weekend soccer, soccer clubs, and people travel all over, bringing their children to these soccer games and forgetting about taking them to church. I was glad, says the psalmist, that I was able to go to the house of the Lord. Because in the house of the Lord, you find out about God's kingdom and you find out about how God rules his kingdom. You know, when we come to God's house, an integral, central part of worship is gathering about the word. And the word tells us about the wonderful salvation that God has provided in the Lord Jesus Christ. The word tells us about our sins, that apart from Christ, we are under the wrath of God. We are under God's judgment. The word tells us who we are and the word tells us even more importantly who God is. That God is a just and a righteous God. And that he has condescended to us in the Lord Jesus Christ that he has paid for our sins. And so we are called day by day to new obedience, to repentance. And even in this, we, we are called day by day to look for the coming of God's kingdom. You know, in Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, Christ says, I have come. In fact, the whole book of Luke is, is in a sense an exposition of the coming of the kingdom. Christ says, I have come to preach the gospel of the kingdom. That's why Christ came. 
to tell us about God's rule. And every time the word is preached, it is an echo of that again and again. We are citizens of the kingdom. That kingdom has been inaugurated and is here in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it is yet to come. It is present and not yet. It is yet to come when the Lord returns. And when we live in the light of God's word, in the joy of God's salvation, we may say, I'm glad. I'm glad for the opportunity to gather with God's people. That gives me joy in my heart. I remember a pastor telling me about his father. He said, you know, his father had immigrated from the Netherlands, spoke English and spoke Dutch. And uh, in the old days, they used to have, and I think that was true of this congregation as well, they would have a morning service, and then in the afternoon there would be a Dutch service, and in the evening there'd be another English service. He said, you know, my father, he says he would go to church three times on Sunday. Probably the pastor would repeat the morning sermon in Dutch. So he heard it in English and in Dutch, but he didn't care. He said he loved to go to church. He says, went to three services on Sunday. He said, and if there were four services, he probably would have gone to four services. Because that was the center of his life. That is where God's people gather about the word. And so the psalmist said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And the reason the psalmist was glad because he wanted God to rule in his life. But secondly, we see that it is a corporate petition. The psalmist goes with the people of God. He goes with people of God, and he knows that in Jerusalem, in the temple, the thrones of judgment are there. For we must all stand under the word. When we look at God's word, we are convicted of our own inability to save ourselves. The thrones of judgment are there. That judgment is, is on all of us. And that apart from Christ, we cannot escape that judgment. But also, we see in this petition a prayer for the church. May your kingdom come, O Lord. May, it, may we, you rule in my life, but may you rule also in your church. And we must realize that 
People don't like to speak of the church in militant terms anymore, onward Christian soldiers, but that is the way it is. That is the way it is. The church is under attack. And as the, the Apostle Paul notes uh, to the, the Christians in Rome, that our warfare is not against flesh and blood, but it is against principalities and it is against powers. It is against the rulers of this present age. That the church is under attack and will be under attack until the Lord returns again. And so when we pray, thy kingdom come, we are praying, Lord, preserve and protect your church. And make no mistake about it, people of God. Christians will not be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease. Satan goes about like a roaring lion, but he also goes about as I've noted before, like a wolf in sheep's clothing, and he's very much more dangerous as a wolf disguised as a wolf in sheep's clothing. And even the Lord himself in his earthly ministry was subject to the temptations of Satan. Even the Lord himself was exposed to it. Forty days in the wilderness after he was baptized in the Jordan River. And, and he's driven by the Spirit into the wilderness. And after 40 days, the devil comes. And comes with these temptations. Well, 40 days, nothing to eat, nothing. You must be hungry. You know who you are. Why don't you turn these stones into bread? Man shall not live by bread alone. Christ responds with the word. Second temptation, he's taken to a high point. High place where he can see all of the kingdoms of the world. And Satan says, these have been delivered to me. You want to know who's in charge of these, these, these cities and that? Well... They're mine. They belong to me. They're full of idolatry, full of all kinds of immorality. They're mine. But I'll tell you what. If you worship me, and you know Satan was not blowing smoke here. I mean, he was right. Uh, you bow down and worship me, and I'll give them to you. And Christ again responds, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. The third temptation. Huh? Why don't you jump off this pinnacle of a temple? Doesn't the word say he'll give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways? You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Christ responds with the word. And the problem that we see now is that in many ways, the church is not the church of the word. 
that we are buying into the devil's deceptions so that right becomes wrong and wrong becomes right. And it's getting more and more apparent. You declare the word to people and say, look, this is sin. You shouldn't do this. You're placing yourself in enormous spiritual peril. You know what you're doing? A person leads a homosexual lifestyle or something. Don't do it. Beg you, don't do it. Listen to the word of the Lord. And what's the response? That's a terrible thing to say to someone. That's a terrible. Do you realize how judgmental you are? How unloving you are? That's a terrible thing to say. Or you get in the public arena abortion. And these are easy things, I suppose, to point out, but they're, they're things that 50 years ago would have been unheard of, unthought of in society. You get, you get abortion and, and, and you say, don't do it, you know. God is the giver of life. Defend the unborn. That's what God calls us to do. The sixth commandment is something we have to hear. It's something that we have to heed. And people say, you're just making an idol out of the fetus. And you know, there are churches that are buying into this perspective. The word of the Lord is being muted. And so we are called day by day. When we pray these three little words, thy kingdom come, we are called day by day to pray that God will preserve and protect his church because we live in a hostile world. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of joy. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of righteousness. And finally, we see that it is a hopeful petition because the kingdom of God is a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of peace. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means, first of all, that we may have the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ, which passes understanding in our hearts. And that gives great comfort in our lives. Because you know, the older one gets, the more we recognize that life doesn't always present itself to us in the way we want. There may be sickness, there may be loss, there may be pain, there may be sorrow, there may be suffering. 
and we realize that we live in the shadow of the valley of death. But the Christian must always look up. The Christian must always look forward. The Christian must always recognize that even in these experiences, God is using in our lives to build his kingdom. God is at work building his kingdom. We can't lose sight of that because that's a great comfort. That's a great hope. Not only in the difficult times of life, but sometimes in the ordinary living of our lives. Now I'm dating myself by this story, but we lived, when we were first married, next door to a pastor who's now gone to be with the Lord. And one day my wife was hanging diapers on the clothesline. This may be hard for you young mothers to realize that there was... <laughs> There was a time when there wasn't disposable diapers. <laughs> and he came, he came into the yard, you know, and she's hanging, hanging these diapers on the clothesline. And he said, well, it's good to see someone doing kingdom work. And I overheard that, and I thought, boy, that's kind of a strange, peculiar comment, you know, doing kingdom work, hanging diapers on a line, you know. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, he's absolutely right. That is doing kingdom work. Very important work. Uh, uh, probably one of the most important things a person can do is, is be a parent and raise your children in the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And that includes hanging diapers on the line. That's doing kingdom work. God is, even in the mundane things of ordinary life, building his kingdom, building his kingdom. Little things that are done in the context of the larger vision of the coming of God's kingdom is really what the Christian life is all about day by day. We live in the context of Christ's return. The Prince of Peace is returning and will establish his peace once and for all in that new Jerusalem. A number of years ago when I was in California, I had a funeral. I was asked to do a funeral of a brother of someone in our congregation. And this fellow had had three wives, or maybe four. They didn't know if this woman he was with was his wife or not. And he died suddenly of a heart attack. So his sister called, says he doesn't have a church, has no, has no one to do his funeral. Would you do his funeral? So I said, okay, I'll do his funeral. And I said, but I made it clear. I says, I did not come. I came to preach the word, not to praise the dead. And I was looking through various funeral services. And I thought, you know, what do you do? What do you say? Particularly 
at the committal. You're by this open grave and you, you say, well, blessed is the dead, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Yea, said the Spirit, for their works to follow them. Well, I couldn't say that. By the witness of this guy's life, he cared nothing about the scriptures. But then I found a committal, committal form in the Book of Common Prayer. And it said something like this. It said, we commit this body to the ground in the sure and certain knowledge that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming again to judge the living and the dead. And he will do what is right. He will do what is right. The king is coming to judge the living and the dead and the Christian hope is and certainty is when we pray thy kingdom come, he will do what is right. And so people of God, when we pray thy kingdom come, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for that one who is coming that is the Prince of Peace. We are praying, O oh Lord, build up your church, preserve and protect it until that great and glorious day when your church shall be one, when the church triumphant shall be joined with the church militant here on earth. And the Lord Jesus Christ will be all and in all. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. May your kingdom come. Amen. O oh Lord, how thankful you are for the comfort and the assurance of your word. That even in the midst of the struggles and trials of life, you are building your kingdom. And that one day that kingdom will be complete and you shall return in glory upon the clouds of heaven. And you shall be all and in all. Even so, Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come quickly. May your kingdom come in our hearts and in our lives, in your church, in the world, and in the universe. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.